0: Okay, we're live, we are live, double podcast today, super excited, streak continues. We have a special guest today, but first don't forget, please rate, review and subscribe. It really helps us grow the channel as well as when you leave the comments in the description or anything that you need from there. Also check out our apparel. Uh, We've got awesome shirts like Strike Out Everyone, Cass is wearing weird, we got our hats, we got great stuff going on. But without further ado, The owner and founder of 108 Performance, Eugene Bleeker, our man right here. Eugene, welcome to the show. Um, I appreciate you taking a little time out of your day.
1: Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure to be here. Um,
0: So um, you and I have a little bit of a history. Uh, we, We did some flush band work, and we've been communicating back and forth for years now on things, and we've kind of followed each other's stuff. Why don't you tell everybody um, just a quick synopsis of, you know, 108 performance. What is it? And, and for anybody that they may not know about it down here in San Diego.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so I opened up 108 at the end of 2014. Um, I had already been coaching for uh, years at different facilities, uh, helped open one, was running uh, all the baseball operations at uh, another large multi-sport facility for a couple of years, doing teams, classes, lessons, all that stuff. Um, and then in 14 wanted to, you know, I felt like I, uh, was into some interesting things on the hitting and pitching side and wanted to take all of the time that I was spending on the field, which I miss very much, but I felt like if I could take all that time and devote it to, you know, just understanding and developing the hitting and the pitching principles better, um, that, uh, you know, that was kind of the direction that I wanted to go. So Uh, Opened up 108 in Riverside, California, Um, you know, and uh, just kind of one thing led to another. Man, went from uh, one shop with um, you know 60 guys to you know 100 with a wait list of 200 in two years, and then opened up the second shop in Orange County in uh, 17, and um, you know, rest is history.
0: That's awesome. So you run a, a different kind of facility, too, where it's kind of you have to qualify and uh, you have limited space. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's correct. So, um, you know, that was an important thing for me, you know, from a culture building standpoint and from a player development standpoint. Um, you know, baseball facilities tend to fall into that trap of, uh, you know, going too large and too large, too fast. And I'd seen that and been a part of that. And I I didn't want to cater to, you know, kids who wanted a, you know, one month tune up before the season. You know, I wanted guys who really wanted to get, you know, their hands dirty and come in and train all the time and create an environment for, uh, for them to do that. And, you know, like it, uh, you know, the, the, the environment, and the culture is really important. And if you have half the guys that want to be there and the other half that don't, uh, it's not conducive to, uh, to a, you know, the optimal training environment. So by focusing on bringing guys in that really wanted to get after, wanted to train, providing memberships so they could come in all the time. Um, you know, that was, uh, that was a huge piece of it. And, um, you know, gave us more time to work with them and get actionable results. I mean, the reality is that, uh, you know, learning how to hitting and pitching are a skill, right. And they're a very difficult skill to master. Okay. And it's kind of like, uh, playing an instrument and, uh, I'm doing a little study on myself during uh, COVID. I decided I wanted to learn how to play the piano and it's something that I've always kind of been interested in and you know I think athletes are always fascinated by musicians and vice versa and um, you know in my sitting here and trying to learn to play especially since I can't do anything with my left hand at all and I'm not musical uh, you know it, it's interesting right like you have to and I'm using an app it's called musician it's really cool it's like a guitar hero but for real music and mm-hmm. as I'm learning how to play it's like you, you start with one hand and you're learning how to play real slow and you got to slow it down. And then you learn how to play with the other hand and then they speed it up. And then you start to incorporate both hands, but it's, it's really tough and it's very complex. And it's this constant, like you get from zero to five in a day. And then the next day when you start, you're not starting at five, you're, you're back down to like one or two, but you've made progress. You're starting better than you started the day previous. And uh, as you're continuing to learn it, right? Like there are days where it's good and you're starting closer to where you finished the day before, and then you take a couple days off, and now you're starting almost, it feels like it's square one at the beginning of the day. And, you know, this is just my brain controlling my hands. It's not my brain controlling my entire body through a dynamic movement and trying to throw a ball 95 and dot up on a corner or trying to hit a ball, you know, 450 feet. And, you know, because baseball is such a, you know, skilled sport, um, it's even more important for guys to understand the replication that's necessary for that skill. There's a lot of talk in skill acquisition now about variability. And I love variability and I use it in training, but Think about it like this, okay? There's this, uh, I like to study other things and I love philosophy. And the ancient Greeks were the, the masters. And um, there's this theory called the law of the one and the many. And it goes back to Plato, Aristotle. Uh, and basically what it means is, you know, think about it like this. If you were gonna draw five circles, okay? Uh, science tells us that none of them will ever be identical no matter what you do. And none of them will be perfect circles, okay? Uh, that represents the many. Okay. Um, the many is comprised of the one, right? But the one is almost more real than the many. The one is the one that really exists. Uh, but it's abstract. It exists in your mind, not in reality. It's your understanding of, you know, what a circle is based on the laws of the physical universe. You walk around every day, you see the sun, moon, tires, wheels, uh, things that are circular. So in your mind, you have this mental model of what the circle is. Okay. Um, and your drawings or your representations of, of, of that circle. Okay. If you wanted to be an artist. Okay. You don't just say, ah, fuck it. Uh, drawing a perfect circle is impossible. So I'm not going to try. Right. You learn how to draw it slow. You learn how to draw it fast. You learn how to draw it standing on one leg. Uh, you speed it up, you slow it down, you change implements to draw the circle. You use different, you know, draw circles of different size. You stand on a boat. And, and rock around and, and try not to allow the environment to screw up your ability to draw that perfect circle. And even though you'll never do it, the best artists, right? The guys who are gonna paint corners, they get within the most narrow bandwidth more than everyone else, okay? They're able to replicate and draw that perfect circle better than everyone else. So, you know, when it comes to training, once a week lessons, they, you know, like it's not, that doesn't do it. And I just never wanted to be a part of that. And I never wanted to do that again. So, um, you know, the environment for the shop was one that, uh, you know, guys come in all the time, get after it and and really focus on the development. And I was fortunate enough about five years ago, as we got into this thing and and started to get real heavy in it to partner with the biomechanics lab here in orange County and start to, uh, you know, test things and, and really try to understand them because early on, um, you know, I was parroting and quoting all the studies and the research and ASMI and all these different things. And, you know, then, uh, you know, I was watching Kyle up at driveline and, you know, 2012, 2013, you know, he's starting to talk about doing research on your own. And then I'm like, you know what, that makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, before I thought I knew everything and, and because i have been in baseball my whole life and, and then I realized, oh my God, I don't know shit, uh, you know, back in 2010 and, Uh, Oh my God, nobody swings down. Oh my God, everybody swings up. Uh, Oh my God, they're hitting the ball far. Bernstein's principle. I I must have to try to throw and hit the ball harder. So all this new stuff people are doing, I was all in on that back in 2010, but had the opportunity to do it with, you know, 175 players and a lot of different movement profiles and, uh, you know, really kind of see what was working and what wasn't working. And, Then when I partnered with the biomechanics lab and opened up 108, it was time to see, okay, like if I thought I knew everything before, right. And I was wrong. What about now? Uh, let's redo this whole thing. Let's rethink everything. Uh, why could the old school have been right? Right. So starting to dig into all those things and, and digging into movement principles. And you know, the deeper you dig, the more you find out everything that all those, you know, old dudes ever said, none of it was wrong. It's just about how people interpret information and coaches had a very small toolbox. I mean, that was it. They just had, uh, words like, you know, swing down. Right. Um, and that word can, can impact, uh, somebody really positively, but it can also impact somebody really negatively. In fact, one of the funny things I'm doing right now. So the other day I have twin eight year olds and they will be nine in a few weeks. And, uh, They both play softball now. Uh, They played a couple years of baseball first and I've never told them anything, but, uh, you know, swing as hard as you can, throw as hard as you can, right? Um, And the interesting thing, when you watch little kids and you tell them to swing harder or throw harder, they move better and better, the harder they try. But that's also because they don't have muscles to compensate within the movements. They're using the entire system symmetrically and evenly based on tension and based on length tension. And that's how they're able to produce their force. And that's why you see young players that have no muscle or they're smaller and they can throw real hard or hit the ball real far. They're using that tension system properly. Okay. So what, what I wanted to try with my kids is I took them out to the park and they've never heard any of those cues. And they've never had any of those, you know, all the different uh, we've used some implements before, but I thought it'd be interesting to take them out and say, "Okay, I want you both to swing down. Show me your best swing. Now swing down. Now swing up. Now get your hands back. Now show me a leg kick. Now throw as hard as you can. Okay, now throw over the top. Uh, Now finish the pitch and and video and watch the differences in how they were interpreting the movements, because you're looking at twins, you're looking at same genetic makeup. Uh, same everything. So how different can two human beings that have never been told those things before, right? How different can they move as a result of all those different words, cues, drills, implements. And uh, one of the tweets that we're going to put out this week, um, I told them both to, to to swing up and we're going to put a poll out and show each one of them individually and say, which cue do you think we gave them? And For one of my daughters, everyone's going to say, swing down. And for the other daughter, everyone's going to say, swing up. But they were both told to swing up. They were both told to swing up. And, like, Mackenzie was the most downed it ever is, even though she was thinking up, right? So um, just a a lot of interesting stuff in coaching, man. There's a lot of paradoxical things. You know, think one thing to do the other. And uh, that's where the infinite complexity comes in with the individuals. Uh, but the more and more we've dug, this whole thing is, is way more simple than, uh, than people are making it. And, um, it can be that simple. You just have to understand like the basic foundational principles of human movement. So,
0: wow. Get, getting us fired up in the first 10 minutes of the podcast. That was awesome. Eugene, um, lot to unpack there. Um, uh, your uh, method of of investigation is rather interesting too you know looking at how far you've come you've been doing it since 2012 um i've been following your stuff for a long time and and seeing your stuff i know cass has been following too um where do you feel like you're going right now with with all of these ideas is there uh is there a, i know you just released that the book and and what where, what's your feel right now
1: Well, uh, released the book last year, um, sat down at the end of the pro off season to write it, uh, got it out by June, uh, but during that time, we're also working on developing uh, educational courses and a uh, player development website uh, that, um, you know, kind of giving people the, what we believe, why we believe it, how we assess it, and then in the website, giving them the how to train it, right? And that was conceptually something I was working on for the last three years, um, but really started actionably working on it at the end of the last off season. And uh, we released our courses in uh, December and released the website membership in March. And it's been really good, man. We have uh, you know, a lot of big league organizations and uh, really good collegiate programs um, you know, getting them and, and we're getting a lot of amazing feedback on the results people are getting with it. So it's, uh, it's exciting, man. Um, enjoying it very much. And as far as where we're going, um, you know, just, uh, continuing to try to push the envelope and move the game forward. And, um, you know, one of the things that, uh, we we really wanted to focus on this year was, um, Say shrinking locally to to grow the message. Think of it like this: like rather than being a baseball training, a couple of baseball training facilities that happens to do education, a baseball education company that trains players. So, uh, doing the best job we can of training the athletes we have and capturing all of the things we're doing with them that are either working, not working and then uh, sharing those things through our uh, educational platform. So, um, you know, we have two more certification courses that we're currently developing. I actually just got off a, a Zoom call with our uh, DPT and biomechanist uh, on the biomechanics course, uh, you know, reviewing that that we'll have out hopefully by the summertime, so.
0: Wow, that's impressive. There's a, there's a lot of programs. You can access it from, you know, the internet. You can see where it's going from there. You can go into the facility. Um, one of the things that that I that I liked about your variability idea and some of the stuff that I've seen in the gym is, is you guys play with balance a lot and, and different things, whether it's like, you know, throwing on BOSU balls or other, you know, uh, other devices and stuff like that. Could you go into some of the detail with with what the focus
1: is behind that? For sure. Um, put it like this. Coaches have always talked about the importance of balance, but it wasn't sexy, right? Because it was just a word. But when you really understand the word and what it means and what's behind it, it's the sexiest thing ever, right? Like um, you can't fire a cannon from a canoe unless you anchor that bitch down from both ends, okay? Our legs are the ropes, our feet are the anchors, our pelvis is the boat and our trunk is the cannon, okay? So we have to get to a good stable landing position, right? And anchor those things down. So when we do rotate, we can rotate effectively, efficiently and with tension. Does that make sense? So
0: yeah, yeah.
1: so you you have to be able to provide the tension down low to anchor in so you can rotate up top. It's almost like how, think about how joints work, mobile, stable, mobile, stables, right? The, the lower half has to provide the stability so the upper half can, can rotate. And, uh, the, the faster you can stabilize and the more tension you can produce anchoring in and resisting rotation, uh, the better you can rotate up top. Um, and that's a, it's a really important concept uh, because one of the most important things that people are missing right now is is the what actually happens in elites, and you know that's a high rate of force development. Uh, elites close the gaps of separation faster than everyone else. They get the energy like to transfer faster than everybody else, and uh, that's where the the magic is, you know. And people have been focusing on things like separation, separation, but degrees of separation are not important. They're different based on individuals. It's not about the degree of separation. It's about how quickly you can close the gaps of separation. That's rate of force development. Um, and that's, that's the biggest, one of the biggest pieces of the, uh, I
2: know exactly what you mean by that. So just can you say that another way or just say it again? Cause that's so, so spot on.
1: So, Currently, and it comes from a lack of understanding of, of good biomechanics. Um, you know, I had a zoom call the other day that I did and it was, uh, you know, 40 of the the brightest minds, you know, in the game. And I mean, we had, uh, uh, Brian DeLunis, uh, Pete Woodworth, uh, Randy Sullivan, uh, you know, Lance Wheeler, um, you know, like just a ton of Greg Rose, just a ton of really, really bright people on the call. And. I had this revelation the other day uh, on why people are misinterpreting this whole hip-shoulder separation thing. So when you look at golf, okay, um, good golfers, right, Greg Rose talks about this, average 45 degrees of counter rotation, right, prior to the downswing. And then the pelvis goes, and it goes to 50 degrees. But that's it which means that all of the hip shoulder separation that that guy got 45 fucking degrees of it was already done in the load. Only five degrees was added in the forward move five. Okay. If we took a laser pointer and we looked at what fucking five degrees was, that ain't a lot. Okay. Uh, The five degrees of added separation is stretch reflex. Okay. That cannot be tested passively. That cannot be trained passively. That can only be trained through rate of force development, that those extra degrees. People think by changing the angles of their pelvis and their shoulders and their bones, manipulating the positions, they can get hip-shoulder separation. But that is not good hip-shoulder separation. Okay. Good hip-shoulder separation is after landing in a loaded position, decelling like a mother, right? Getting the stretch reflex to transfer and close the gaps of separation to the upper. OK, so the misinterpretation around that in the baseball community has been enormous, absolutely enormous. And I was guilty of it early on as well. OK, so if
2: you're not guilty of it. You haven't been doing this long enough. That's right? correct. Like- that's
1: correct. That's correct. Because <laughs> if you're following the research and you were listening to them talk about hip shoulder separation, that's exactly. 80%. what you're, I was, Yep. I was doing that shit back in 2010 because of Tom House and, and all that stuff. Right. So. Um, you know, like it, it, it's just misunderstood. Right. And, uh, people are too caught up looking at individual and divisible pieces like bones, but they're not paying attention to the system. Like the bones are providing stability. So are the muscles, the rest of the surrounding and supporting structure, that ECM system and fascia, that's, what's doing the heavy lifting, right. When you're moving really well. Okay. So, um, you know, the, uh, the the closing the gaps of separation is the money. That's the you know like when you decell wall with the lower half. Like when you have somebody that comes in, you do an assessment and they lack hip shoulder separation. It they're turning the wrong pieces of their body on, right at the wrong time. So there's too much stiffness too early, right? It, it's it, elites are able to turn pieces off better than everybody else too. So as they move down the mound, it's passive, it's easy, right? It's effortless. And then when it's time to rotate, they're grabbing the ground like a bastard and the rotational rate of force development up top is like rotation, finish, slingshot, rotation, finish, slingshot, and then the arm can really whip through and get delivered. So like the biomechanists say, oh, hip shoulder separation, but they don't know how to create it. And, well, and, for and just like
2: for, for anybody that is unfamiliar with it, because I, I, dude, I had kids for three years in, uh, at D three that I coached, and I had one of my best players say, "I still don't understand hip and shoulder separation." Um, but so for visually, I think of the Dak Prescott. Um, yeah.
1: right. Awful. Like that's not true. it. <laughs> not only is that not it, right? Not only is that not it, all right? And. Like that got so much play when that went out. But so I just got off the phone, like I was saying with our uh, DPT bio, Dr. Fareed and, uh, her, her business, uh, movement first, uh, just had like a record setting year for NFL draft picks. Okay. And, um, they have been giving data. They were just collecting all the data and giving it out to a whole bunch of, uh, these particular quarterbacks that work with a particular program that focuses on hip shoulder separation. And a bunch of them were having pain uh, and underperforming. And after a while of collecting data and providing no feedback, because that's what she was asked of, she, she finally, when there was pain, explained to those guys, like, listen, okay, like, you are separating too far passively too much. You need to close the gaps and decrease the hip-shoulder separation. And as soon as they did, pain went away, performance went up, right? As soon as they stopped doing all that bullshit.
0: I'm down. I get it. it it's uh, definitely a um, rabbit hole that that we've been down and we've looked at it. And when we saw the Dak Prescott thing, it was just, you know, I saw the play. That it. You know, I go. That ball is going so far into the stands; it's not even fun. You know, that's a pure duck. That's the pure duck going all the way that way. Mm -hmm. You know, we see. We see it. I'll I'll say this. I I just want to. This is because
2: this is the only time you're going to hear this in this conversation. This is why I am such a big believer in educating, like little league level. You know, coaches, parents, players. This is not about the movement, guys, because for you to understand the movement, you have to be psycho with mustaches that curl and like <laughs> weird things that, you know what I mean? Like, cause that's us, right? And so the people that are not willing to go to this step, like treat people nice, like get kids to have fun, like create an environment where they're going to be turning things off accidentally because that's what kids do when they're put in the right environment, right? So it's like that actually... Uh, you know, that's, I, that's another way of saying like the old school. It's not that they didn't know what they're talking about, right? It just, yeah. So anyway. Well, here's something funny. You hear something
1: funny? So when yeah, I was doing yeah. that thing with my kids the other day, um, I have video of this because we interviewed them. Okay. And after we went over all the <laughs> cues, we asked them, okay, so which did you like any of it? What did you like the best? What did you like the least? Both of them were like, I didn't like squash the bug. It felt weird. And I felt like I had no power, right? So as soon as they turned their pelvis, right, they, they felt like shit. And that was all from them. There was nothing, uh, you know, that was like, there was no uh, coaching that into them. It was just asking them like, so what are your thoughts? Uh, which is really funny. The, the best thing people can do for their kids is leave them the fuck alone and give them uh, heavy bats and uh, different kind of balls to throw and just tell them to swing and throw hard. And then, when they start to get that to that uh, you know pubescent age, when muscles start to hit, like that's when you need to start that other stuff. And that, and that doesn't mean that like um, you can't do really good work with young kids and, and give really good drills and really smart. But the most important thing early on is getting them to have fun, love the game, and that's something that we're failing at tremendously in the game of baseball. Um, The more games they play, the more, uh, you know, like they should be doing throwing competitions, hitting targets, moving targets, throwing different balls to hit those targets, doing hitting competitions for distance, trying to hit targets, using different implements, like, you know, give them a prize if they win. Whoever hits it the farthest wins a prize, like, you know, make them have fun and and make them enjoy the game and love it first. And then, you know, later they'll want to work at. You know, and they'll want to improve it, uh, but the closest thing biomechanically to elite big leaguers that we see is uncoached ten U kids uh, that you know are are you know athletic. But yeah, man,
2: and it just allows so many things that that cannot happen. You know, I, I it's just this replacement of free play, right? We have well, or like the, we have to create free play. Like it just it's a different world. So, anyway. Um, yeah, I don't know where else to go. I I, I don't want to sit in that too much because I want you to keep on geeking out uh, and telling the people what you've been up to and um yeah, and where where one it's going.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. John, what I was going to say, I, I thought uh, I heard something about um, decel patterns. Um, I'm interested to yeah. um, hear what what research you found about that.
1: Uh, research we found or research we've done. Both. How about both? Like, cause we're, we're very into D
0: cell patterns too. So okay. um, it, it's one of our biggest things.
1: So for us, it started with the kickback, right? It started with seeing the kickback in hitters about four years ago and uh, being like, okay, what, what the fuck is that? Like, and then like starting to dig in and seeing, oh shit. Like I've never seen that before. Wait, it's everywhere. Uh, Babe Ruth did it. Ernie Banks did it. Pete Rose did it like shit. Uh, so then testing it and seeing guys exit velocities go up exponentially and they're hitting in games, uh, and then going into the lab and understanding reciprocal movement and how that works, that the, the two biggest things, any coach can research to understand are reciprocal movement and, uh, you know, like understanding rate of force development in the fascia. like that, that's the, um, that's the key, right. And, um, after we started and did research on the kickback stuff, um, you know, it turned into upper half trunk D cell moves and understanding that better. Um, and you know, the, think about it like this. Okay. From the time we're born, right? Like, cause the, the most efficient movement is always the best movement. And, Uh, And hitting and pitching, we have a small window of time and space to produce a large amount of force, right? So efficiency is key. Um, We have to move as fast as possible in the smallest window possible of basically any other sport. So, like, when you look at it like that, um, and you look at it from an efficiency standpoint, from the time everyone's born when they walk, no one has to teach you how to walk. You walk opposite arm, opposite leg, okay? Which means that the pelvis, when we walk, The pelvis is going one way, right? And the trunk is going the other way because when my left leg uh, goes forward, my right arm goes forward. So it's constant counter rotation, constant counter rotation, upper body one way, lower body the other. And when you look at uh, any sport, any strike or release from bowling, hockey, soccer, it doesn't matter if it's upper body, it doesn't matter if it's lower body. If I'm trying to produce force from an extremity, Okay. From my right leg, my left arm has to come across my body hard. Okay. Which is my trunk counter-rotating against my right leg. Okay. If I am going to bowl a bowling ball, right? Uh, when I bowl with my right arm, I can't bowl it well, unless my right leg goes aggressively behind my body this way. And that pulling out of slack in opposite directions allows you to create force in small windows of time and space. That's pulling tension out evenly from both sides. So when you hit and when you throw, right, you need rate of force development. You have to close the gaps of that reciprocal movement as quickly as possible. So if I wanna throw a punch with my right arm, the faster I can close the gap and get my right arm across my lower body, right, the harder I'm going to be able to throw that punch. Does that make sense? So hitting and pitching are no different. It's no different. You want to close those gaps of separation reciprocally as quickly as possible. That's why so many guys stride closed, right? There are so many elite pitchers throughout history, right? And, and now that stride closed, it's ridiculous. Then it gets taken away from them. And they did it naturally and they did it naturally because that put them in a position to get across their lead hip and stabilize from the lead glute, and give direction through rotation, you know? So, um, yeah, to, to de well, you have to put yourself in good positions of leverage first, right? So you can, you know, optimally use your body the way it needs to be used. Um, you know, and then, uh, it's, it's most, most of it's motor patterning. It's not strength.
2: Yeah. I've told, um, I've, I don't know. I, I feel like I might've said this in that live the other night. Um, but I have told kids recently, like, I dare you to not open your front leg, don't open it. And they can't, but the act of trying, I, I don't know that there's been a better cue for my front leg, like for front leg. Cause they got to stop. You can't go through that, right? Like you can go through an open front foot easy. So it's Gosh, it's just really interesting, and you know, and, and I said this before, but how and I won't get into it. But
1: bitching at guys to stay closed and not fly open? We'll so, how long have coaches been bitching at guys to stay closed and not fly open?
2: Well, you and get it's your just front like, foot a, a,
1: down a, early. Keep your shoulders closed, like all of it
2: context though right it just you just need to go a little bit further right and because well this is the thing is technology just exposed everybody that didn't have a good explanation well I don't know how why but fucking do it like and I I totally get both sides but um shoot anyway I I don't know what I was gonna ask because I got me all jacked up about yeah um oh I was just gonna say that the latter thing. So that, you know, that was, you know, Doug doesn't go into a lot of, you know, he's going to say things differently than you, but when he just talks about a sideways, you know, just a forward move being 50 50 and that being just so simple. And then me going, Oh, you know, hitter, pitchers aren't going to look exactly like that. They're doing something a little bit different. Right. But the idea behind it and that being the foundation and him just, he was the first person that I heard. That's like, um, Oh, he's like association. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And, um, and then I'm like, man, maybe he's crazy, but maybe I am too. And, and it didn't take me very long to, you know, I I feel like I'm obviously you're a little bit farther along than we are on this, but God damn, it's, isn't it funny how you just start, you don't, you just pay attention for a little bit and, and how simple things do become. It's like, Hey, your lower half, just go that way. And your upper half, just throw the damn ball. Like, it's not that hard. So I did like that you were talking simple. Um, you want to go? You want to go? How you're simplifying things?
1: Yeah. So by focusing or on, anything. yeah. Well, just by by focusing on those two concepts of foundational movement, uh, you know, like that's that simplifies all of it. Like if 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 a guy doesn't have a scapula, okay. Like there's a, there's a saying in uh, physical therapy, if you're treating the site of the pain, you're, you're in the wrong spot, right? You're doing the wrong thing. And it's the same thing in hitting and throwing. If a guy doesn't scap load the reason that's happening most of the time is because he's got a shitty D-cell pattern down the chain. And a lot of times that's happening either because he's in a bad position or he just doesn't have the motor patterning or the understanding of the motor patterning to be able to do it. So you don't focus on the scap load, you focus on the D cell, you focus into getting good positions, you focus on getting across the body, you focus on rate of force development, you focus on those things, a lot of other stuff starts to clean up, man. Your your path improves, your direction improves, your velocity improves, your command improves. Like you focus on those things first, and then the other things become more of a more of a byproduct, and then you can problem solve all the little things that haven't cleaned up as a result and really figure out kind of why those things aren't happening you know so by focusing on the big rocks 1st there, like i was i was talking about individuality in this thing you know back in geez 13 14 and like was huge on that um and everybody i think the mistake people made everybody was looking for what does everybody do the same but I had to focus on the individual individuality to get back to what everybody does the same. There are certain things about human beings that, like, even though we have different movement profiles, different length of levers, different degrees of strength, we're, we're all made up of roughly the same bones and the same muscles. All of our internal body temperature, no matter where we are in the country, is roughly 98.6 at homeostasis. And... Everybody fucking walks opposite arm, opposite leg at the same time. Okay, even fucking left-handed pitchers. So uh, if they if they do it, then everyone's capable of it. And as a result, like understanding that reciprocal movement foundation, and then understanding that, like, you know, look, man, muscles are cool, but they're also slow, right? And the biotensegrity system and the fascia and the ECM—that's what's producing the real rate of force development and stretch reflex. So. Um, you know, those two core foundational principles and then everything else working off of it has really been, uh, you know, I think the big home run.
0: I love how you said that. Uh, uh, the, okay, could you say it one more time? The the fascial um, tension force? Um, I messed it up, but I that just the idea of that made sense again.
1: Yeah. So the surrounding and supporting structure to the human body, the only thing that surrounds supports and envelops everything is the fascial system, right? It's kind of like the outside covering of a soccer ball. And it's made out of uh, think about if that was made out of rubber bands, or, or a trampoline cover. Okay. Um, in bio in tensegrity models or tensegrity systems. Uh, The outside, that surrounding supporting structure, that's where the the force comes from. So, like, you know, if you kick a soccer ball, okay, and you want it to, uh, say, make the soccer ball harder or kick it far, if you fill it up with more air, right, there's more tension. And because there's more tension, you're going to be able to kick it farther more easily by really indenting, right, that stretch reflex is going to be greater. So everybody is born with a very even tensegrity system, right? And that's why little kids operate with efficiency when you tell them to throw hard. They have to use that tension. There's no muscles to compensate, okay? When you start layering in muscle, that's kind of like uh, like if you press on the soccer ball from the outside hard, like the, the stress is going to get dispersed very evenly. Everything is very evenly distributed. But now if you start to make the wall on one side or one piece really, really thick, right, now the stress will no longer be evenly distributed, okay? And you're going to break on the opposite side of where the, the really strong part is, right? So the more evenly you use that whole system and the more evenly you build that system and the more you use that tension, right? I mean, shit, man, tension holds the planets together, right? Like tissue. shit. T- t- is, is where it's at that makes sense yeah, that does.
2: i always find myself giving like uh i grew up on a lake um it's like uh i always think about the tubing stuff like skiing you know this the, the same exact thing and, and and then it's like learning how to articulate those things to kids um but i i think that I, i'd never I, I've done a lot of thinking about just like when things are appropriate and knowing that younger kids are going to handle speed better for other reasons. But I didn't even think about it from like, they they literally can't, you know, like they, they don't have other options.
1: Tell them to swing um, harder. And, and, they're going to anchor in more. They're going to rotate less.
2: Right. Right. And then I'm thinking about the, the, you know, some of the arm actions that you see, they're like, how could that ever exist? It's like, well, speed was never introduced to them at a young age because this would have never been an option they chose, you know? Yeah, Um, it's not
1: just the speed thing, though. Part of that is that the shoulder is the most mobile joint in the human body. And, you know, Bernstein's degrees of freedom, man, like your your body can move a whole bunch of different ways, but it doesn't mean it fucking should, right? So you can manipulate your shoulder and you can tell a kid throw over the top, right? But things become a thing because everybody else does the opposite. Why does everyone say over the top? Because no little kids do. Why? Because it's fucking dumb. The way people interpret it is is very poor, right? Force is plane specific. The humerus needs to work around a stable spine. The forearm needs to work around the humerus, okay? Uh, you need to rotate through an unwinding tornado. The forearm and the humerus should match the plane of rotation of the spine. And when little kids get told that shit, they put the arm above the plane of rotation of the spine. And then they create injuries yes. and disconnections and pattern as a result.
2: I was going to, um, by the way, speaking of Pedro Strope right? Like think about that. And, and I, somebody just uh, posted it and I'm not sitting here. Like uh, this is such a hard conversation to have because I'm not sitting here saying anybody who's ever coached him or his training is bad. It's simply that if you look at when the humerus gets way above the shoulder, like it does in that, it there's only one option. It's going to come back down. And there are some s- simple things like this that, um, I, I just think is, is interesting that people don't bring it to light because to your point, when does the humerus exist over the shoulder? Like it won't unless it's get queued there. Does it? Right. <laughs> so yeah, it's hard. I, I understand the, the, con- this is a hard conversation to talk about specific people. It's just, you know, and that's the hard part is, is how do you, you know, this is such a tough touchy conversation because you should be able to a- address this from the people who are authorities. Right. And to have conversations that are productive about the best players in the game, it, it, it's just, it's really complicated. Right. Cause we can't, Also, just be Pollyanna and be like, "Oh yeah, everybody does everything great," because that doesn't give the kids the the sense there. So, anyway, let's go away from specific people. But um, um, I don't know, man. What else have you been thinking about lately? That's crazy. We've been talking a lot lately, so.
1: Well. Um, that's crazy.
0: I don't know. Um, we've just been a lot about. I have an idea, a question about um What's your thought? I We've never talked about this. What's your thought on Live at Bats? Like, how do you – what's your take on that? Where do you feel like
1: – What do you mean?
0: How would you evaluate it? You know what I mean? Like, I see you guys do Live at Bats inside your place. Um, you know, we, we try to do it whenever we can. Um, is that a staple? Is that um, – is, is there a way you classify it? Um, do you have any specific plans of when you do it?
1: Uh, we classify it as – having fun and competing and taking the things that we're working on and putting them into practice that's actionable. Um, Some of it is crafted in as like seeing some hitters and some of it is crafted in as live controlled. So we don't care about the result. We're focusing on not allowing the environment to change the patterning, right? So we're on that unstable boat, but we're fighting like hell to, to draw that perfect circle. Right, So sometimes live at-bats for for pitchers or hitters are based on just competition, and sometimes they're based on like, okay, we don't care about the result. Let's just be as easy as we can, or let's stay as closed as long as we can, or let's work on that arm action. Let's let that play against a hitter in a situation where we don't have to be worried about the results. It adds in a variable that's more game-like that allows us to transition moves from – it's kind of like in skill development – like your movement work is your foundation, that's your base. You're learning how to move differently in a different environment. Then you add in uh, the ball, you add in the tee, right? You add in some catch. Then you, uh, you know, add in toss or BP. And like you keep going up these levels of difficulty, right? And each one is closer and closer to what's happening in the game. So you're you're starting by learning how to draw your perfect circle slow. And then you're keep continuing to challenge it in these more difficult environments with implements, uh, uh, you know, thoughts, uh, cues, goals, right. And making it more game-like and as the pattern succeeds, you keep pushing it. And as it fails, you step it back.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. I, I go, go John.
1: I was gonna say, we call it testing,
0: right? It's just like, it's like what you're saying, like testing, whether it's, you know, implementing the ideal of a pitch or like you're saying, staying closed or a, or a mantra or whatever you're trying to become consistent at. And then, you know, trying to apply it, like you said, in game moves. I, I really like that. That's, that's a. It's a difficult thing to do. The white line thing is real. You know, I, you know, people don't always fully commit to what they're doing in their training, um, because they're not quite sure if it's going to work or not. You know.
2: I'm, uh, I'm curious. Um, I don't know that we've ever. I, I've listened to you quite a bit in the past, Eugene, and I don't know that you've ever gotten into this. We have tried to have conversations about how people pitch. And and John has, uh, between the two of us, like, could we teach things and simplify pitching into... Just, are we still there? Yeah, you yeah, got up right. just a little bit, go ahead. Okay, uh, anyway, um, and, and I think John and I were talking earlier today, it's like a lot of people wanna have conversations about pitching based on count. You know, you see so many illustrations of how good, you know, how hitters are way better in 2-0 counts and, and what pitches you should be seeing and what pitches, you know, people have tendencies to throw. And, and, I, and I think a, a good, um, and I'm just curious how maybe you have this conversation the same or different, but we, we've talked about, let's teach three to four sequences, a fast, slow, fast, slow, uh, fast, fast, slow, 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 fast, fast, you know, and then a slow, fast, slow, fast. And we're just, it could be anything. You can make an argument for any four things, but with the idea of trying to create a different perspective on how people actually play the game of baseball. Right. And that if you're, if you're actually executing those sequences, the count's going to be 0-2, 1-2, right. You're going to be striking people out, right. If you get good at the sequences. So I don't know, how do you have those conversations with your athletes? Is it similar, different?
1: Well, I would say, um, Given that we're running out of time because I got to get to working on that presentation, I would leave it at this. Currently, in the entire United States, um, education right now sucks balls. Okay? Um, The education system is fucking broken, and the sooner parents and people realize that, the better off they'll be. Uh, We're creating an entire system of robots that can only regurgitate and memorize, and there's no fucking creative thinkers anymore because we're not allowing them to think creatively. There's too many baseball players that don't understand how to play the game anymore because they're not allowed to fail and understand how to play the game. Their pitches are being called for them at fucking 10 years old because – uh, people want to win games. Uh, the position players don't know how to read hitters anymore, read pitchers or understand where to position themselves because they're used to being told. And the pitchers don't know how to use any of their shit, right? Because they're not allowed to. So I would say providing players with an understanding of things that can screw hitters' timing up, but then allowing them to use their stuff and allowing them to fail, and allowing them to understand that when I did this, this didn't work and I got fucking burned, right? So I'm not going to do that again. Why didn't that work? And then teaching them how to problem solve is probably the the, the most important problem. We're in the worst part. And I know generationally, you know, people always say, oh, yeah, those fucking darn kids. We have these, you know, generation gaps. No, like we're looking at something that we haven't seen in history before uh, that I'm aware of through any research I've done, like well, we're seeing the worst problem solvers in history. Uh, you know, like fucking kids, like they, they, they're not, they, they don't know how to solve problems. They don't know how to solve problems. All they do is fill their brains with information. They can't creatively think I had a fucking kid ask me this the other day, we're doing a zoom with like five more pictures. And, uh, you know, kid says we're at the end of it. And, you know, guys are doing their weekly stuff and, you know, going over the plans and, uh, co- kids like coach, coach, coach. And this kid's going to fucking long beach state next year. Right? Like he's a, you know, he's 89, like he's a dude. And he's, uh, he's only like, know, six foot, uh, 170 pounds and has the capability to be 93, 94 all day. And fucking kids like this. He's like, so coach, coach, and he's got his pen and his paper and he's all serious. And he's like, so, so like, should I be eating healthy right now? Or should I just be normal? And I'm sitting there like, what kind of fucking question is that? Like, how do you you not have the capability to answer that question? But what does that mean? Should I be eating healthy or eating normal? Do you want to pitch professionally? Okay, yes. Do you want a spot at Long Beach next year and and win a job? Yes. Okay. Is your body the tool you're going to use to do that? Then don't be a fucking idiot. Of course you're supposed to eat well. What kind of dumbass question is that? What do you mean normal versus eating well? Well, we we have a door at our shop. Okay. And it's after you walk in the front door, uh, you'd hang a left, go through uh, two more sets of doors to get into the pitching room. And the second one, which leads to the pitching room, when you exit, there's two doorknobs on the door. One of them works. The other one doesn't have a correlating doorknob on the other side because it was taken out and it doesn't work. So initially when we moved in, we were going to take it out. And then one day some fucking kid, it's his first day in the shop. He comes up to me in the hitting room. He's like, coach, coach, I'm locked in how do I get out and I was like what do you mean you're locked in nobody locked the fucking doors and he's like no I'm locked in so we walk over and I was like hey dummy did you notice there are two fucking doorknobs did you try the other one and then I opened it for him and subsequently thereafter over the next three years at that location Like, the amount of fucking new kids that couldn't figure out how to open the fucking door was mind-blowing. I thought about setting up a hidden camera just to watch these assholes trying to figure out how to open the door. Like, it's six inches away. Try the other doorknob. Like, they they have to go ask for the answers because they can't even figure out which doorknob to open. They're so busy getting indoctrinated into memorizing fucking books that kids can't think anymore. Like they they have to learn how to think on their own. We need to give them like like an understanding of what's what, but then let them like go try to do this and see what happens. Do whatever you want. Like they have to be allowed to fail. They have to be allowed to fail.
0: Wow, what a and, what a great way to end it right there. That was that was a rant and a half. I love it. I love it. Two doorknobs. Was he called doorknob? Was that his nickname from then on, or what? What was Well,
1: here's the problem. It wasn't just him. The amount of guys like it's, it's literally unbelievable. I I took the door. I'm bringing the doorknob to the next shop when we, our lease was up March 31st. So we put it in storage. till this COVID thing is over, but I'm putting two doorknobs and a hidden camera at the next shop. Like That's a guarantee. guarantee. Just just so we can like funniest home videos and show the uh, generational issues like real time.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Well, well hey, gets, it, gets I, this uh, this warning on this podcast. <laughs> hey, for
2: the record, th- it, this has been, I mean, in a good way, it's hard to get Eugene on. So make sure you're following all of his stuff. He's all over everything. OK, I, I basically our plan today was, hey, get him on and let him talk nonstop, because this is all you're doing. You're educating everybody in the game. Uh, who, who cares um, if, if anybody agrees or disagrees with anything that you say? You're pushing the game forward as well as anybody else. And so we love your stuff. Um, so thank you very much. It's been an awesome honor to have you on. So we'll, we'll let you get going, man. I appreciate it, though, a lot.
1: Yeah, man, appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, definitely enjoyed it. Would love to do it again. And, um, you know, people people can agree with or disagree with whatever they want, but uh, uh, eventually they'll come around because yeah, – Everything that we're doing is not – we don't believe in one way to hit. There is no one way to hit. There's no one way to throw. Like what we believe in is foundational movement principles, and if people aren't on board with that shit now, just fucking wait. I was telling people about hip-shoulder separation being bullshit for three years. Nobody wanted to listen. I've been bitching about all this stuff for a long time. People don't want to listen. But eventually they're going to see it, and they're going to realize it, and they're going to understand it, and they're going to realize that – like regardless of who you're talking to and what uh, thought, every drill works. Every thought works, every cue works. Like Doug Lott is a great hitting instructor. Craig Wallenbrock's a great hitting instructor. There's a lot of great pitching instructors like Randy Sullivan does a fantastic job. Lance Wheeler does an unbelievable job. Everybody has you know specialty things that they kind of are good at or certain cues or nuances to their drills or way to connect or communicate with people differently. All of that stuff is amazing, but every single time all of us talk, everyone is getting closer and closer to the same exact fucking thing. They're doing the same things, focusing on movement in the same ways differently from different parts of the country. All the people that are successful in baseball player development right now are focusing on movement, movement quality, and certain pieces of that movement that are happening. And that's what we believe in. So anybody that disagrees with what we teach has no fucking idea what we teach. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Yeah,
0: I appreciate it again. Um, we will definitely do this again. And if, if, you, have, if you ever need us to uh, fill in on anything that you got in the future, definitely let us know. We'd love to jump in and hear, hear what that conglomerate of amazing minds are like, right? So, well, you guys are
1: doing a killer job down there. Appreciate uh, Appreciate you having me on and uh, look forward to chatting again. And when we get the place back up and up and running again, love to have you guys come up and hang out and shoot the shit, talk shop. Yeah, that sounds
0: great. Definitely. Sounds All good, right, man. Appreciate it again.
1: All right, boys. Uh, don't
0: forget to go follow 108, Eugene, Calf. Appreciate it. Talk to you guys soon.
1: Later on, yes. boys.